welcome to the Everyday Neuro podcast series. I'm your host, Dr. Janine Cooper, and I'm aiming to provide you with the knowledge and inspiration to understand the fascinating world of the human brain. Welcome to part two of episode 15, where we're looking at the impact of stroke from the perspective of those who live with the disease. In part one, we were introduced to Paul, who had an ischemic stroke that involved the middle cerebral artery in 2015. Today, we'll hear again from his daughter, Cassie, about how the stroke has impacted Paul and his abilities and how the family are making a new future together. I will also ask Cassie about the support services Paul uses and I'll share with you some information and links to the latest apps and technology that's available for people recovering from stroke. And this is to aid their cognitive abilities and potentially enhance their access to support and quality of life. To understand more about Paul's changes in ability, let's start by returning to the main signs and symptoms of stroke, as I would like to discuss two of the major impairments, issues with movement and with language. It's important to understand that the left side of the brain controls the motor and sensory processes on the contralateral or opposite side of the body and vice versa. Hence, a stroke to the left motor strip, the primary area that deals with movement, will potentially result in right-sided motor issues. Another important thing to understand is that most people, so 90% of right-handed and 60% of left-handed individuals, show left hemisphere dominance for language. A small percentage of people do use an even mix of both sides, And rarely, there's even some people that show right dominance for language. But as I say, the majority show this left hemisphere dominance. Damage from a stroke can cause motor and sensory deficits. If it's a complete stroke, as I explained in part one, then this could result in hemiplegia, which is the inability to use the upper or lower limbs absolutely. If it's a partial stroke, it could result in a praxis, which is basically a coordination difficulty. So, for example, there might be difficulties using the hand or the arm. There are also sensory deficits where a person cannot touch the hand or perhaps they don't know where their hand is in space. And this latter example involves proprioception. If the stroke affects the left or dominant brain hemisphere, the patient may experience something called aphasia, which is the total loss of the ability to communicate through language. And this includes the production and the comprehension of language. If the patient has partial loss, then the term dysphasia applies. I would like to recap on this as it helps to correctly identify the extent of impairment a person has. If the word starts with A, as in apraxia, then it refers to the total loss of, in this example, coordination. In contrast, if the word has the prefix dis, as in dysphasia, then this refers to a partial loss, and in this example, it's of language. The loss of language or aphasia may be expressive in that a person will have difficulty converting thoughts into language. It might be receptive, which is a difficulty understanding verbal and written language, or both. As you will hear from Cassie, Paul has both receptive and expressive language issues, and these two abilities are associated with different regions of the brain in the dominant hemisphere. 
I cover this and more in the online course, Introduction to the Human Brain, Basic Anatomy and Neuropsychological Function, that's available on the 1st of October 2019 via the Everyday Neuro website. So that's everydayneuro.com. This course is the foundation to the Everyday Neuro online courses that I am now launching, and I'm really excited to be able to put it into this podcast. Now, I've worked my socks off to create courses that I hope you will thoroughly enjoy. And over the next few months, I'll be releasing short courses that are 100% online. They're mentor supported. So in other words, you can have my support once you enroll and they can be done in your own time at your own pace, and they provide evidence-based knowledge and understanding of topics like we've heard in the podcast. So stress and anxiety, the benefits of mindful movement on our brain and well-being, and one of my favorite areas, how our memory functions. So for those of you who like this podcast series but want to acquire more knowledge, why not visit the EN website? So that's everydayneuro.com. If you subscribe to the community, you will receive a 20% off code to the courses and they are ideal for anyone with an interest in neuroscience, psychology and the brain and are based on the most popular podcasts. For those of you who may be considering working in the field of stroke rehab or brain injury, it is important to understand how to assess for such issues. So I have included a great link to a document called Identify the Vessel, Recognize the Stroke that provides insight into this and it can be found in the show notes. So now that we've covered some of the symptoms of stroke, let's return to my interview with Cassie as she shares with us Paul's abilities on what life is like post-stroke, and then we will discuss stroke recovery, including apps and training. Cassie, what aspects of your dad's life have been most affected by the stroke? So dad had um, a massive stroke on the left part of his brain. So essentially, he's, he lost two-thirds of his brain, and he... Unfortunately, um, and for dad, this was a huge impact because he was, is, it's hard with the language, he was a journalist, he was studying his masters at Cambridge Uni, um, loved his reading, loved his writing, won many journalism awards and this stroke basically um, resulted in significant uh, expressive and receptive um, dysphagia. He has severe apraxia of speech and aphasia, so trouble saying uh, what he wants to say correctly um, and um, the ability to comprehend or form language. Um, and on top of that, he also has quite a significant impaired access to forming written communication. So as you can imagine, a journalist and a writer yes. suffering that is... And for us too, you know, like dad was the pillar of advice for many, you know, on lots of different things. And we've lost that ability to to talk to him. When I say talk to him, I mean, as we're talking now, Janine, you know, we're, we're understanding each other and to have this conversation with dad, it would, it, it wouldn't be like that. And yes. we've had to, you know, and it's impacted him massively and it's, it's sad. He still, he loves poetry and he's often said to me, um, that poetry is really good for him because he has to stop and really slow down and if anyone knows poetry it can be quite you know it's not in my opinion not overly relaxing but for a stroke survivor (laughs) like dad yeah he finds it 
relaxing because he really has to force the part of his brain that is still alive to really slow down and, and get through it. So, so are these the activities he enjoys and therefore incorporates into his day? He still loves reading. Um, I don't know how much of it he actually can take in. Um, I mean, a typical day for dad would be lots of rest. Um, for the listeners, uh, you know, stroke survivors, oh, they sleep like there's nobody's business. Dad went from never having a nap in the day to now he can sleep for up to three hours. So dad, he didn't have long-term paralysis. So to look at dad, he looks fine. So he can walk around and move around and he potters in the garden and things and he can still do cooking. But then, you know, mum needs to make sure that he's got the oven mitts on when he's pulling something out of the oven and, you know, and if he's cooking her a meal and it's, say, fish and chips, um, (laughs) it's quite a funny story. He wanted to make fish and chips. I think they had fresh barramundi or something and he was really excited to cook for mum and they sat down at the table and he'd completely forgotten about the fish. And I said to oh, mum, so what did you eat? Yeah. She's like, oh, I just had hot chips and all the condiments <laughs> for the fish but no fish. So she's acting and as well then. She's, she's yeah, maintaining, you know, you know a, a normal Because he would have been mortified. or yeah. he, But in dad's mind, I think he thought he'd made the fish and chips or he'd forgot. Yeah, so it's you've got to laugh, Janine. You do. Speaking of laughter, as your dad is a very proud granddad, and I recall you saying that there's 10 grandchildren in the family, did they notice anything? And what is their relationship like with your dad? So he's got, yeah, he's got 10 grandchildren um, from the ages of six through to seven and a half months. The older two are definitely aware of it. They're in prep, so they've... yeah you know, got that bit more understanding. And my two sisters and I were just chatting about it the other day. You know, it's hard because we don't want to scare them, but we also need to be honest with them. And so we just say, you know, our granddad's brain is sore, his brain got hurt and, you know, he gets things muddled up. My three-and-a-half-year-old son, who I was pregnant with at the time when Dad had the stroke, is quite animated, <laughs> if you yeah. like, and he... um. When we go and stay, we all try and help mum out with dad. Um, so when we go down and stay down there, he said something to dad and dad's like, oh, you're a good, good girl. And Jack turned to me. He's like, mummy, why is granddad calling me a girl? <laughs> I'm like, granddad's, you know, he's got a sore brain. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Didn't think anything of it. And then the next time we went down, he ran straight up to dad. And he's like, granddad, is your brain better today? And Oh, bless him. That's very You know, sweet. so it's. Yeah, and but it's funny too because dad. So there's two two babies, two baby grandchildren, and then three who are learning to talk. And dad often, I get out of him, you know, that he loves conversing with them because they can't talk and he can't talk. (laughs) They're on the same wavelength. Conversation, yeah. So he can still see the fun in it too, and he can, you know, if you would go up to him and say, "Oh, hi, Paul," he would you know, he could say hi back and, but it's, I guess around the 30 second, maybe a minute mark, he'd start to realise it's something. So I guess that's why he loves chatting with, with the grandchildren too, because particularly the really young ones, because he can have a really good conversation and no one's kind of going, no, dad, we don't understand or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. He's not being corrected and, and not in a bad yeah. way, just, uh, he's, he can just, yeah, yeah. yes. Be free. I know your mum is his full-time carer and you and your siblings do help whenever you can, but what other outside services does your dad access? 
Yeah, so Dad, he'll ha- have it ongoing. So he um, he was in rehab for quite a few months um, and he was allowed day visits home. Um, and then when he, filing was allowed home, which was around Christmas time or a bit before in um, 2015, he still has ongoing speech and that will that will never change so he'll always need to have that um and he also has um support services where he has carers and like buddy friends who come out and take him out to do an activity that he wants to do and gives mum a break as well um and he's going to be doing some um, therapy with swimming again. Um, Dad used to love swimming and since his stroke he still enjoys the swimming but not a fear, but yeah, isn't like he used to love catching big waves and things like that. And so I think it's because since his stroke, he has a little bit more of that fear now. So he's going to be doing some therapy in, in helping with that, which will be really good. Yeah, just mum does a lot of work with him. And, you know, when we go down, um, things like crossword and, you know, the game chess and things is, you know, really good for dad. And just sitting down and um, he'll get I guess, homework from the speech therapist as well, which we all try and help mum with as well. So, um, and all of that's ongoing. Unfortunately, my dad, he'll never work again and he won't ever drive a car again. So the services he, you know, he, that he has access to is just a way of, I guess, maintaining his dignity and the things he can still do. And, you know, and each time he gets assessed, there's new services that become available too, which is really good and which helps mum out a lot as well. Cassie, you've talked about, obviously, your dad still has activities he enjoys, um, obviously a very different lifestyle to the one that he was living prior to the stroke. And that's the same for you and your family now. But what advice would you give others who have had a family member have a stroke or are currently going through the early stages of this situation? Dad will forever be my hero. Um, I find it hard even even now, um, you know, I can feel my heart racing talking about it, but I, it's so hard, stroke. You think stroke is a one word that encompasses one thing and it doesn't and dad's stroke continues to baffle the specialist. You know, he doesn't fall into the usual one and so I think it's important to not feel too isolated if you're told, you know, oh, we don't know exactly what's going on or we don't know the damage because it does get easier. Dad in particular, you know, we've had to adjust, as my sister said, you know, we've had to let go of the dad that was and in a way grieve that and embrace him the way he is now. He's he's still dad. He still has his sense of humour. It's just we can't, you know, sit and, and talk to him how we use who we can't ring him up and, and have a conversation about say you know if I've had an issue at work or something like that it just it just it just goes around in circles almost um, but I think it's important to not get too overwhelmed and that's a word that I've constantly used ever since the, the you know the night when I got the phone call because it's so easy to get overwhelmed and that's when you start falling into the dark and scary thoughts and areas within your own brain and mental health. And it's important to, if you are going to feel that, just feel it for a little bit and then, you know, move on from it, whether you've got children, whether you've got pets or, you know, something to kind of bring it back into perspective. I think it's important for anyone who's going through a similar situation or even if there's listeners out there who've got loved ones going through another, you know, whether it's cancer or another 
serious condition to just know that even if your loved one doesn't look like they can understand you or feel you, they can, they can hear your voice and they can hear the tone of your voice. Even the times when dad was lying there completely unresponsive and I was talking to him thinking, does he even understand what I'm saying? But I was literally comforted and this, people say this all the time and it isn't you actually doing it yourself. I was literally comforted by the fact knowing that he could hear me and he could hear, you know, his daughter's voice and the same as with my mum and his other children and things. And I think that's just probably the best advice I could personally give is to just never give up mm-hmm. and, you know, whether you believe in God or not, to just hang on to something that you and that person both shared, you know, and if, and if you can just sit there and, and talk to them, sometimes that's all you need to pull them out of it and to, or to keep them going and to pull you out of the little black hole that you may have fallen into temporarily. You have mentioned that humour has been a big part of your dad's recovery and also how your family has coped with the situation. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, and I remember when dad hadn't been long home from, from the rehab and my brother and I were in the hallway and dad thought he told us a joke and he started laughing and we started laughing at him laughing and he thought we were laughing at his joke and it just it was after about 10 minutes I looked at him I said dad I what I I don't understand and then he's like I I don't either and he was pointing to his head (laughs) and just you know and he said this is all basically we're saying you know this sometimes this is all you can do is laugh yes um because, and I tell you what, as a family, you know, we love, we love our humour and since Dad's stroke, like, we have had some absolute laughs, not always at Dad's expense, <laughs> you might be listening to this, but he laughs with us and sometimes it's all we can do because there, there literally is nothing else and if it's not laughing, you're crying and falling in a heap and um, one funny story I will say is when Dad was in rehab and I would have been about five and a half, maybe six months pregnant and I'd gone down to visit him with my older brother and we were sitting in the room and Dad was looking at me really intently and I'm thinking, okay, something's, something's going to happen here. And he pointed his finger at me and, he's, and he said, clear as day, purple may. And I went, um, and Craig, my brother's like, I think he thinks that's your name. We lost it. And dad, and then he's looking and he started shaking his head. He's like, no. And I went, dad, that's not my name. Nowhere near it. But in his mind, yes. it must have seen purple may was as clear as day as Cassie. You know, yes. and the four of us, him, my mum, my brother and I just laughed until we cried. And it it wasn't even that funny. It just was, I think, the time and place of it. And um, and it was really nice seeing Dad really laughing because my dad's got a great laugh. I'd like to thank you, uh, Cassie, or should I call you Purple May, um, <laughs> for, for your insight into your family's situation and wish your dad and your family all the best. Thank you, and I hope... Um, if anything, um, your listeners may have got a, a bit of a giggle or two out of some of it and it's not some comfort knowing that um, even when things are really dire, you can still pull through and um, it's been therapy for me as well in some ways. So, um, yeah, so I'm glad to have been a part of it. 
As Cassie explained, stroke recovery often involves many health professionals and support from family and friends. However, although it may seem that collaboration is the obvious best practice to enhance stroke patient recovery, sometimes it is a struggle for patients and their families to engage with all of the necessary support. And this is especially the case for those who live in rural communities or do not have state-of-the-art medical facilities close by. So what is available for people who have survived a stroke and want to rebuild their lives? In a study called Comparison of Therapy Practice at Home and in the Clinic by Jason Goodlove and colleagues in 2019, it was revealed that a tablet-based language therapy tool was as effective at supporting aphasia when it was administered within the home as it was when administered in the clinic. Results suggest that home therapy users were able to master tasks in a significantly shorter time, so about six days, than in a clinic setting, so a median of about 12 days. However, many people living with cognitive issues, such as memory impairment, need to be taught how to effectively use an app before they can potentially benefit from it. So training to be able to use an app is therefore hugely important, as I mentioned in episode 9, which is called Using Rehabilitation Apps to Enhance Lives in Developmental Amnesia, Stroke and Brain Injury. And I talk about research being conducted by Diana Ramirez and colleagues, that aims to compare different ways to teach the use of memory apps to stroke survivors and also to determine which one is more effective. So if you'd like more information, why not check out episode 9 and especially look at the show notes. Hence, due to advances in technology, it's now possible to increase therapy administration. And as some therapy doesn't need to be clinic-based, it can also have a beneficial effect on the patient as they can perform it in a preferred environment that often leads to greater adoption of the task. And it can also free up expensive resources for therapy, as this doesn't have to be performed in a clinical setting. There are several apps that I'd like to talk to you about that have been developed to aid recovery after stroke. And two of the most popular language and communication therapy apps are CT Speech and Cognitive Therapy and Prolo-Q2Go. CT Speech and Cognitive Therapy has been designed by speech language pathologists, so it's ideal for therapy between clinical speech therapy sessions. The CT app contains over 100,000 speech and cognitive exercises that are designed to help rewire the brain and improve aphasia. Proloquo to Go is designed to support people who are unable to talk after stroke as it provides quick access to symbols for core words. And it's based on studies that show that just 200 to 400 words actually make up 80% of what we say. So if you'd like more access to information regarding rehabilitation apps, then you can check the show notes for this episode as well as listen to episode 9 and also check out the show notes to that as well. So I'm also going to give you in the show notes some free iPad apps that can support fine motor skills and language abilities and they're also lots of fun too. So after all therapy is most effective when it fits in with the person's lifestyle and interests. However, one thing to be cautious of when investigating the efficacy of brain training apps and therapy tools is that not all of them are able to transfer these skills to real life and rather they're limited to the tasks in the program. So do investigate if there is research to back up the claims or ask a health professional such as an occupational therapist to suggest some recognized support tools. So that brings me to the end of this two-part episode about stroke. 
And I would like to say a huge thank you to Cassie for her time and courage to share her experience of stroke with us and also to wish Paul and his family all the very best for the future. And to you, I hope you take really good care of that amazing brain of yours and I hope you'll join me for another episode of the Everyday Neuro podcast series. Take care.